Welcome to the Gary and Kenny Show. I'm Gary Kroger coming to you from America's heartland in Waterloo, Iowa. And I'm joined as always with Kenneth Seisler in Calabasas, California, which is America's what? Well, Calabasas has gotten a lot of attention. When I first moved out to Calabasas, nobody heard of it. But then the Kardashians came out here, and then Calabasas became famous for the Kardashians. And then people heard about, unfortunately, then Kobe got his helicopter crashed here. Now, that's why everybody knows Calabasas. Now, everybody knows Calabasas because of that. Right. Because it changed your life. And I think Justin Bieber lived, lived here for a while. Really? Yeah. Do you, do you ever see the Kardashians around town? Is, is, there, a, is there a downtown Calabasas? Like little place? There's with- an old town Calabasas. Which old I think- town, yeah. Historic yeah. Calabasas? Historic. It's a building that was just really old. Right. <laughs> just, that's All right. what it is. Yeah. No, I don't know if I've seen a, I, I'm not really good at recognizing people. Uh, people, yeah. Because um, I don't pay attention. I don't, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what that's why. That's why we're so compatible, mm-hmm. Kenneth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking of compatible, mm. I'm always looking for some kind of segue, well, and that's, yes. I think, the best well I'm going to get. Well done. All right. Well, uh, can, I, can, I, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah, no, please do. I'm sorry. We're not taking any questions. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, when you said, you know, you're not good at recognizing people. Mm-hmm. So my wife has this talent of recognizing celebrities from behind. Ooh, so I, I swear to God, it's happened 30 times, and she'll go, see that over there, and it'll be... 60 yards away and she'll say that is and it'll be somebody that's famous what's what's and we'll certainly drill deeper into this in a moment after you're actually introduced but is it the back of their head is it their posterior is it i don't know what it is but it's a talent and unfortunately and believe me we've tried you can't monetize that talent no no, you really can't can you but does she have to explain to people that she recognized them from behind like to go how did you know it was me and she goes because you're a fat ass (laughs) what'd you say brad (laughs) yes we run away as soon as she yeah right yeah okay that's my that's my strategy well ladies and gentlemen you have met our guest uh but i want to say a little something about brad hall i have known brad hall brad william bradford hall for 44 years Jesus Christ. Let that wow. sink in. For it's been half years. your life, Gary. <laughs> yeah, almost half my yeah, life. Really. Brad and I did theater together in Chicago after Northwestern. We went to Saturday Night Live together. We moved out to Los Angeles, not <laughs> together necessarily. But, you know, o- over the years, Brad is an ex- executive producer, a showrunner, a writer, a director. And we'll get into those specifics and how it all happened, but please welcome once again, Brad Hall. God Brad, it, it's not like this is your first interview ever, and everybody talks about Julia, and everybody talks blah, 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 blah. Well, obviously, you were going to talk about some of that. Saturday Night Live for both of us was a, a difficult experience, but there are some stories to tell. Can I go back? I just want to say something. I, I, I think you guys are very familiar with who you are. As uh-huh. opposed to me, who I have no idea who I am. And my point is, I want to fill people in on where you guys came from, which was you had this troupe from Northwestern, right? And they were the practical theater company. And who's, and in, the, who's in the troupe at this time? It was Gary, Paul Barras, Reed Branson, and Rush Pearson Rush. was the first show. In a, so this is four theater. guys right now. Uh, yeah, and, and then Julia it's was four white well, guys. And, and, and remember, I was I was billed. Diversity yet? That's for sure. I was billed as the beardless boy. 
You were the first show, Gary. So, did all the I did all the women's roles as the beardless boy in the Shakespearean tradition. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next couple of shows, we had we started to have women in the shows, funny women. One of whom was Julie Louis Dreyfus. So well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question, and if you're not, not interested in that, I'm just out of curiosity. So the the troop, the all male troop, brings in Julia. She's in the troop. Were you guys an item at that point, Brad, or were you well, met her through? When she first came in, that when she did her first practical theater show, that's when I fell for her. So we, she wasn't when we. I didn't know her that well. She, I had been away. I, I went to England for a year to do plays and be a, a drama student, that kind of stuff. And when I came back, she was in a show with Paul Barras and Rush Pearson and other practical theater people. Gary knew her already, um, and she was a freshman, so I hadn't met her. And then I went and saw her show, and actually Paul and I, in a weird little thing, had a confusion of it. He said, you've got to see this girl. And then he described her as being this little tiny dark-haired girl, right? So there were two little tiny dark-haired girls in the show. <laughs> One was tinier, and it wasn't Julia. So after the show, I said, yeah, she's good, but this other girl is way better. I got confused. And he said, really? It's like, oh, I don't know, man, because we were trying to put together a cast for that summer for, the, uh, for a practical theater. So um, then when we straightened that out and I realized that we were both talking about Julia, we said, okay, well, let's get her as soon as we can. And so it took us, a, I think, six or eight months more or something like that. And then, we, and then Julia did, did her first practical theater show. But, 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 but what happened to the woman who was tinier than Julia? No, <laughs> we're Facebook friends. No, really? Seriously? Oh, yeah. She was, oh, good. Okay. She was really good. <laughs> but Julia was particularly Julie. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so now... When we, moved, ahead, we were not, by the time that we moved to New York, yeah, we were living together and stuff. And, and uh, it was, that was a hard time. But we, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, looking back on it, I, it, it was super hard and, and we screwed up a lot. And, but I think that the, the, it was like a graduate school for television for me. I mean, we learned how to do television. We certainly uh, can you, is there anything particular specifically you can say we screwed up a lot? Is there it just in, in what no, sense? At what no, we, didn't, where? we didn't know. We didn't. Well, for one thing, we were hired to do a certain kind of thing that they never really asked us to do. And if we'd been smart, we would have really pushed to do that, but which was a lot of music, kind of a rock and roll thing and more stylish bits. We did a lot of um, blackouts and stuff like that. On our, in our shows, there's ways to do that in television. We didn't really know how to express it, but here's, here's an example of, ex of exactly how we didn't know how to articulate for the for the people that the powers that be, as it were, who were all about thirty. It's not like they were ancient, right? Right. Yeah. But they were older than we were. So I think, Gary, I know. I think you might have written this with me and Paul. We wrote a sketch called the Upside Down Smith. Upside family. Down. Yeah. yeah. Smith family. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the idea was it's a family that lives upside down. So you, know, you press a button on the control panel and the image flips. And the joke of the sketch was that the floor was, keep, was what was keeping them in, uh, you know, in Earth's atmosphere. If, you, if they walked outside, they would fly away, right? And Gary played <laughs> an adolescent kid who wanted desperately to go out and have go a outside. go to school. He wanted to learn to read and he wanted to see music, you know, and his parents said, no, 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 you'll never survive. It's too dangerous. And at the end of the sketch, he walks out the door and he flies into outer space, right? So we... we wrote that sketch and we read it in read through and uh and it didn't make the show and so i was like that was a really funny sketch it got good, good reaction in the read through so I, I i said to the executive producer at the time 
hey, what about the Upside Down Smith family? What happened there? And the director, Davey Wilson, who was a charming, delightful guy, but, but um, born in 1925 or something. So he was of a different generation. And uh, so he said, well, you can't do it. Technically, you can't do that sketch. I said, well, wait, I don't know anything about television, but I'm thinking, well, yeah, you can. Because, I mean, I remember back in Northwestern, we pressed a button on the That's right. control panel and the image flipped 180 That's degrees. Right. No, no, there's no ceiling. And I said, ceiling? What is the ceiling floor? There's not, there's not supposed to be any ceiling. The joke is... The floor is the ceiling. Yeah, right. and he goes, well, what are they going to walk on? I said, they're walking on the floor. It's the, it's the image flipped. And he goes, well, that's not funny. And I said, well, that's the whole point. Said, Never mind, right? So, so I go to a friend at, who was writing on Letterman, which was brand new. First year? Second year of Letterman, maybe? And I said, oh, man, I can't believe it. You know, we, did this, we had this great idea, the Upside Down Smith family. He says, hey, you mind if I steal that? I was like, sure, what the hell, go ahead. So Letterman does a bit where the band is upside down. Okay. And they do like four or five minutes upside down. It's quite, they don't too long, actually, but it worked <laughs> great. It was mm-hmm. fucking hilarious. Next day, I'm in the office. Davey comes in. He says, you see Letterman last night? And I go, yeah. Like, my point has been proved. He goes, right. see, it doesn't work. And I said, oh, <laughs> it's a cultural problem. So. Yeah. You know, he didn't, he didn't think it was funny. It, that, that's all. It wasn't. So we didn't know how to sort of negotiate that. And if I'd been more confident, probably just purely confident at the time, I could have bullied my way in, you know, but I, we didn't, we just didn't know. And also my, I, we all felt protective of each other. We, tr- we were trying to move forward as a group. We didn't want anybody's feelings getting hurt. And that's not the way it works at SNL. It's a much more brutal let me offer us a little sidebar there brad and again it's it's me admiring you Uh, brad is a man of tremendous integrity um you know he he, the truth and things matter a great deal to him after the first year i was fired um you know i didn't have a i'd have a good show a bad show but you know i was fired and how'd they do it did they bring you into a room and say you're fired (laughs) they don't pick up the phone to say you're hired but it was very clear that I wasn't coming back. And of course, I was heartbroken even at the time. I don't know if you know this, Brad. I had already been asked to deliver the commencement address at my high school. Oh. But I found out the day before, even that day, that I'd been fired. So I'm up and trying, follow your dreams. Life <laughs> oh, my God. No, it, was, it was so painful. But Brad goes into Dick Ebersol, and I don't know what you said, but he said, hey, listen, you didn't use Kroger correctly. He's a funny guy. You just, you know, you, you, I don't know what you said, but you were, you know, we were family and you went in to fight for me. And, and so Dick calls me up and says, okay, you know, meet me at uh, 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 Yankee Stadium. And he offered me a contract for the next year. Uh, but that was because yeah. of you. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure you know that. No, I know. I, but I felt like it was totally unfair. I mean, we, they had not... Well, first of all, Paul was supposed to be on the show. They hadn't put him on the show at all. Uh, you know, you and I were supposed to be doing all kinds of stuff. But now I, w- I want to move on from SNL because that's you're honestly, Brad, you're, you're so much more than that. But although I do want to point one thing out, because, of course, I know everything you've ever done, but I went to Wikipedia anyway. Right. And so one of the things in your, rec- in your recurring SNL characters, one of them was uh, Mike Phillips, friend of El Dorco. <laughs> Which was one of my characters, you, Mike Phillips. Friend, of, anyway. I didn't know it was Mike Phillips. I didn't remember that. Yeah, you well, left after two years, and immediately I think you're at Lincoln Center, right? 
Yeah, that was some followed hard upon, as they say in Shakespeare. Yeah. Can we just go well, back to Wikipedia for one second? Because I went yeah. to Wikipedia, <laughs> and according awesome. to your papers on Wikipedia, you did a hell of an impersonation of David Hinckley. Oh, I did do Hinckley. Yeah. <laughs> maybe in the very first show we ever did david hinkley Not a lot of people bother with hinkley no, well, no you know what else you did i don't know anybody who's doing like john harvey oswald or whatever <laughs> i mean yeah, i specialize in people you don't want to hear from <laughs> and I, I think that those are the people that need to be impersonated okay well so you one. did you did pete best for example I did which was a, a really funny sketch where the, the neighbors <laughs> ask him to stop hitting his head against their wall when they had guests over. <laughs> so they asked him to go to the other wall. Which I'm just wondering, could you do a little David Hinckley for us now? Oh, oh, everybody does <laughs> Everybody does. So now here, Brad, here's a question that I wanted to ask you forever and ever and ever. All right? Forever yeah, and ever. Because for back in the day when we were doing theater, you were paying for it by doing professional theater. You were at the Candlelight. You were doing patent leather shoes. You're doing Lincoln Center after SNL. You were always an, an actor's actor to me. You were always first and foremost an actor. Now, I know you've done Parks and Recreation. I see you all the time. And, of course, Curb. Uh, your acting resume is great. But when I ask people about Brad Hall, oh, he's a producer, he's a writer, I don't know that people know what an incredible actor you are. But, you know, I don't really like, uh, to be honest, TV acting and uh, movie acting, of which I've done a tiny bit, um, it just isn't as fun as doing plays. And for me, anyway, you know, for some people, just my wife, for example, she loves it and could, can't be, you know, she can't quit it. But for me, I always like doing plays. And, and I got to do, a, I hadn't done a play in a decade, more than that. And I went, I did a play summer before last and was like, oh yeah, that's what's fun. It's really fun. So, but of course, you know, it's a difficult thing to just pick up and do. But I, I, I think that that's, I, you know, if, if I'd gotten, if people would thrown roles at me, I probably would have never stopped acting. But I, I'll tell you what, what happened. I was doing, a, I wrote a movie. This was after Saturday Night Live, long after, a decade after, and um, early 90s. And I, I wrote a movie called Real Scary, which I sold, and then um, somebody wanted to make. And then they said, hey, would you play the lead in the, in the movie, which I hadn't really written for myself at all. And, but I said, sure, are you kidding? Because I was working as an actor more than as a writer, really, at that point, or as much. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So off we trundled to Virginia Beach to shoot this movie. And uh, there was one night when we were shooting, it's completely off subject, but we were shooting and all of a sudden there was a horrible noise of a jet going over. So the sound guy goes, no, 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 hang on, hang on. we got to stop. And then, okay, it's quiet. Rolled again. Another jet comes in. Hang on, hang on. Turns out there was a freaking aircraft carrier <laughs> that had come in right off the beach Every nine seconds, <laughs> we had a jet. So it was kind of a difficult night. But so we're shooting. It's going great. And the, the um, director's really happy. And, the, uh, the um, you know, they're cutting little scenes and stuff. And we're all really, everything's looking good. We're about halfway through the schedule, maybe a little more. And then I come to the set one day. And there's literally no one there except me and the director and the other actors. The crew is completely absent. I'm like, what's going on? And they'd been keeping it from me, thank goodness. The crew had not been getting paid. They, they got paid when they first got there and they weren't getting paid. 
and the director of photography, finally, it was a great crew and everybody loved each other. It was really fun. And so they were all, but they were not getting paid. So they were horrified. So he took all the film hostage and took it to his hotel room and wouldn't open the door until the whole crew had gotten their whatever it was, two weeks or something. So my agent calls me and says, get out of there. There's a problem. The bond is wrong or something's wrong. So they turn out that, of course, the producers were paying Peter before Paul and everything else. And the movie shuts down. This is maybe two months after that. I had dinner with Gary Goldberg, Gary David Goldberg, who at the time was doing Family Ties and a great guy. And, and Julia, my wife, had done a pilot for his company, but we didn't know him particularly, particularly well. I'd never met him, actually. And I get seated next to Gary, and he goes, hey, so, well, you know, what are you up to? What are you doing? I tell him that story about how it got screwed up. And Gary says, uh, well, you got to do TV. And I said, nah, I did Saturday Night Live. I don't know about TV. I'm not saying we kind of had kind of a crappy time. He goes, oh, no, no, no. You got to do half hour TV. It's so great. I'm doing a pilot right now. Why don't you come down at Paramount, you know, come down and just uh, hang out and see, see what you think. He's the nicest guy in the world. We totally hit it off. So I, I'm going to do that, which is not, I usually wouldn't do it. I usually just, I'm not going to take advantage. He didn't really mean it, whatever. But he seemed genuine. So I go down to Paramount and he's making a, um, a pilot with Carol Kane and, and Robert Urich. Time. And I watched the run through, but it was funny. And, and, uh, but there was, it was a little, the run through was rough for sure. They were shooting the next day. I'd never been around half hour television. I mean, none of us had. Had you ever done half hour at that point, Gary? Probably by then you probably had. Uh, maybe guest spot on something. Yeah. I had an hour. I'd been doing spies. Right. You know, right. An hour. We didn't know anything about in front of an audience all that. So we go back to the writer's room. Gary says, hey, come on, come on. What do you think? Do you have any ideas? I don't know. So we sit down and we, 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 he says, so what do you think? And there are four or five writers there. And I'm like, oh, kind of like, well, you know, I really liked it. But don't you think maybe if you just switch this scene with that scene? You know, I didn't know. And I didn't know what I, if I was supposed to say anything or not. And he says, hey, that's a good idea. And we all kind of talk. He goes, you know what? Let's rewrite this thing. So Bruce Helford, do you know Healthy? Yeah. He, he ran Roseanne for years. And, uh, and Gary and I just, and, and Susan Seeger, who wrote the uh, pilot, we just sit down and we rewrite it that night. And we work basically all night. And it is so much fun. And we order food. It's like, do I have to pay for this? It's free. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was so great. And the next day, we shot every word that we had written. And, and then, you know, a week or two later, the show got picked up. And he said, hey, why don't you just write this? You're, are you going back to make that movie? I said, not right now, that's for sure. And he goes, well, why don't you just uh, you know, write this with me? It's really fun. And then I did 10 years of writing stuff with him, basically. Wow. And, uh, and we, we, we just had so much fun. It was so much fun. Well, I have a question just going back a little bit. Is just that when you, when you guys were let go, when Saturday Night Live was over, how did you guys feel? Was this like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. Let's call the agent or the manager. Or do you go, you No, not, that wasn't even, that's not the way we were operating. I mean, I was pissed because it was, we felt it was unfair and that we hadn't gotten our shot. But, uh, you know, but uh, I didn't feel like, Oh my God! I didn't even think about it. I mean, I started doing plays again. Yeah, you and you were back at Practical Theater. I mean, and I went back right. to Practical Theater. No, I I was there with Julia one more year. Oh, yeah, I, you didn't know I was that. there with Julia one more year. Now, here's a piece of Saturday yeah. Live history that Saturday Live fans who may watch our show 
probably don't know. After 1985, Billy Crystal and I was on the show and Julia, et cetera, et cetera, Marty Short, the show was over because those guys didn't want to continue and Dick wasn't going to continue without them. There was talk about it becoming Saturday Night Live, res- or not, Saturday Night's main event wrestling. Joe Piscopo wanted to do the Joe Piscopo show, but the show was over. Really? It and somewhere in, in that summer, they coaxed Lorne Michaels into coming back. That wasn't so let me get this straight. Gary gets fired. Brad walks into the office, gets Gary's job back. Then Brad gets fired. Gary says nothing. Not true. Not true. <laughs> not true. In fact, I, I remember that not true at all. In fact, I've always carried this burden. Julia went in to talk to Dick Ebersol. You know, saying, hey, you... My husband, I don't think, I don't know if I, I don't know the story as well as you do probably, Brad, but she went in to say, I don't know that I want to continue without my husband, but whatever was worked out, she came in. I went in and Dick Ebersol said, shut up. I don't want to hear what you're saying. Brad's not coming back. Well, I had, because I, he, well, it's a long story, but I was going to come back and I, but I demanded to get a million dollars as a writer (laughs) (laughs) and uh, they weren't going to do that. So, they weren't going to do it. Because, uh, you know, we weren't getting paid as writers. And so I made yeah. a list of the 15 sketches that I had for that year. And I said, well, here's 15 sketches that you got for free. So, uh, you know, how many are going to get this year? He goes, none, because you're not coming back. I'm like, well, <laughs> hang on a second. It, it, yeah, it, I am. You're paying me a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a non-negotiable. And, uh, you know, I was afraid of not being on the air, let alone walking out on yeah, one of the job. One thing that we don't need to go into the exact story, but one thing I have in common with, with uh, Larry David is uh, um, that he and I both had uh, differences with uh, with. Yeah. But, you know, look, I got nothing bad to say about Dick Ebersol. Now I now I know how bad is how hard his job is. Yeah. I know how he was. Well, I want to I want to go through the fact that you, you do Brooklyn Bridge. And of course, then uh, single guy was soon after that. You were showrunner yeah. the show. You created single guy watching Ellie came right a little after bit after that. that. And you directed a lot of watching Ellie, didn't you? Uh, did I? So no, you can't even remember. No, well, when you, I can when list everything on my resume, Brad. I don't look backward, Gary, as you know. But uh, I really don't. I don't remember stuff particularly well. But the thing here's the thing about showrunning. When you're showrunning, you don't need to direct. <laughs> it's right. Well, you know, can I bring up directing? Because that's my background, too. Yeah, that is your thing, isn't it? Yes. Very different world now t- yeah. as far as becoming a director in any situation. I, I don't know if just it's kind of broad. It's nothing specific. On no, the question, I think that's but. really true. And I, I think that, you know, the main thing about being a director, I think in television, there's a lot of different kinds of directors. You know, if you're directing in the theater, really you you put yourself in the shoes of the actor. If you're directing in television, um, I think that you, you put yourself in the head of the showrunner. That's and because you're fulfilling something that's you're fulfilling what's already been created. So you know you come in to to shoot whatever. Um, the look is already created. It's just as you say, the look has already been created. The actors know the roles, uh, or they've created the roles. And your job then is to direct traffic, to have a happy set, uh, to maybe bring performances out of people that they've never done before. Uh, but primarily, it's to fulfill the wishes of the show showrunner which is a really hard job and, and directors are incredibly important. You can get in the way and you can really, I think you can make more mistakes. You're more likely to 
make mistakes than you are to elevate. And so I think that that's when, like, when cast, or cast members and stuff direct, if they're not really directors, they can really screw stuff up. I mean, it can really be bad, even though you're getting all the coverage. Um, and generally speaking, on a TV show, it's, you're, you're, the, the, the way the show is shot is so established, um, unless, you're, unless you're shooting a pilot, then you have to establish it. Mm-hmm. But once it's been established, like on Veep, for example, which I directed a lot, they, they, they're, there were four cameras most of the time, but that is in, in, in practical sets most of the time on the, uh, at the, toward the end or on really fancy, beautiful uh, sets for the White House or whatever. Uh, so there's a high end of technical proficiency. Every designer is spectacular. Every actor is unbelievably good at what they do. Yeah. Every costume is perfect. If you walk in there and screw that up, well, you know, uh, how I, much is I, improvisation in, in Veep? Well, depends on the on the scene, but a lot. I mean, it's a lot. It, it, and some actors were better at that and more comfortable with that than others. But at the beginning, before the Dave Mandel era, back in the Armando era. It was all improvised, pretty much. That is so much so that they were improvising stories, and that's really hard. And what do you do as far as I, 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 one more question, Gary, about directing? But what were the um, what do you do as far as when you have improvisation, and you've got coverage, you've got four cameras, um, and for whatever reason, one of the cameras is just not there at that moment when that character's there. Do you say, well, let's go, let's go again? on improvisation are they trying to hit the same notes and how many times will you do it or well that's a really really good question that's that's when the director has to make a call or or establish a way that you're doing it typically what you want to do this doesn't always happen this way but with with v which anyway which i think is a perfect way to use improvisation if you have the time and if you have the pages you rehearse and improvise while you're rehearsing. That's the best time for improvisation. You find new things. A lot of that stuff will find its way into the script. That's fantastic. Well, guess what happens if you're two, three shows into a season? There aren't any pages. You're not going to rehearse at all. You may rehearse on the set if you're lucky. So a lot of times with Veep, and, and you know, I'm not talking out of school, I wouldn't know what the story was the, the whole week I'm prepping. So it's like, I didn't know where the sets are going to be. There is no prep. I would, I would be scared to death. <laughs> I'm scared now. I have anxiety over this. I have, I have dreams like that as a director walking on a set and not having anybody Pants. tell me where the script is. I just but, want the yeah, script. Can somebody just give there, me the script? There's a, there's a there, well, with Veep that I directed, there's a scene when, when uh, uh, Julia's uh, TV daughter comes out and says that she's in love with Clea Duvall. The, the, uh, um, you know, the, um, and you directed that episode. Yeah, but that's the Secret Service, night. right? We, we knew what, yeah, the Secret Service agent. So we, we knew what the scene was, and that had been in the outline. Hilarious idea, obviously. And, you know, Dave Mandel has really, really worked out the, the show well. But what was going to happen was really well worked out. It's just the actual pages that would get behind. So uh, sometimes you get, a, you get an outline, like on that show. Um, we had a pretty strong outline, so we knew what that scene was going to be, but there weren't any pages. There weren't any pages. There weren't any pages. We couldn't rehearse. We couldn't. And we were on the set, and there, there weren't any pages. So we're, you, you know, try to stay calm. I'm like, ah, there's nothing. Finally, pages come. We, we, we're, 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 we realize it's not stageable. The people come in through the wrong way. It, it was written too fast, you know. Had good jokes, it, great stuff in it, but 
from a from a, just from a pure physical standpoint, didn't you couldn't do it. You couldn't shoot it because it just didn't. It wasn't physically possible. Wrong people. Like people would talk when they hadn't made an entrance yet. <laughs> so we had to straighten that out. And then you know the time's going, and you're like you're dying, and there's 150 people in the crew. It's like holy shit, we got to get this right. And then you realize you fall back on what you've been doing for a thousand years, which is just talking to actors and making stuff up and having a good time. And so once with with that show, the the the, the joy is it's already a successful show. It's all it, everybody knows how funny the people in it are. Um, everybody's easy to work with, so you can relax or you have to make yourself relax and then funny stuff happens, you know, and sometimes funny stuff happens under pressure, but I find that (laughs) it's much more likely to happen if you're happy. So that seems to out to be a fact. And in fact, when we, I staged it, realized it wasn't going to work. had the problem with what you're talking about with improvising on camera in Veep is the whole style of Veep. And I was really uh, uh, vigilant about this is you're never, you swing to the person you never swing to the person for the joke. You have to swing after the joke starts because what motivates the camera move? You're, you, the, the way that show works. It's reacting. The camera's that, reacting to the material. You're a fly on the wall watching the show. So what I'm, a great I'm, note. You know, so you, have, you can't get there too early or right. it won't work. So, wow. so if you're improvising, guess what? These cameramen were so good. One guy in particular, all of them were good, but there was one guy who was just unbelievable. So you'd make sure, okay, he's going to be the guy that's going to be on this person that's going to get the sh- that shot. And then sure enough, in an improv, he'd hear it. And when he'd get there right after the joke would start. You know, and I just well, remembered I mean, something. After uh, you guys left SNL, I had was at MTV <laughs> as vice president, and I auditioned Julia for a VJ position. Really? Yeah, I just remembered that. Really? Yeah, yeah, she didn't want the job at all. She hated it. She came I, in. Yeah, I, I, I remember. I remember. She, she didn't even her tell bag. her husband. She threw the bag <laughs> on the table. We had a brief interview, and she was just not. Well, how funny! Well, I hope she was. Uh, I hope she. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great choice that she didn't. Uh, she Speaking of Julia, you you guys work together so much, and here you're directing her on Veep. We know she's one of the great improvisers, and talking about the context that you were talking about. Is it really easy for you because it's your wife or is there a different, you know what I'm saying? Is there a different persona? Yeah, no, I, I really, I mean, it's funny. I, I, I'd work with her all the time, you know, it, she, she's just really easy. And she, the thing about Julia is she's a worker. She's a worker bee. You know, nobody works harder than Julia. She just really likes to work. And so she is constantly, constantly working, working, working. And, and Part of that is being really forgiving of other actors, really supportive of other actors, and it's impressive you know, to see she's she really likes the work, and um, I think that's why she doesn't have a lot of sort of the trappings of, of being a TV star. You mean you would never know she's a TV star when you're on the set with her because that's not how she operates. She just likes to work, so she she comes to every scene when she's not in it. She's always on the set because she knows that she's going to learn something from somebody. And uh, on, on, particularly on V, you know, I think on Seinfeld for all those years on Seinfeld, she was battling, battling, battling with, with Larry and Jerry to get more material because they, their their natural inclination was not to write female stories, and so she would have to really get in there and you know they're delightful, closest friends ever people, and she loved every second of the show, but she wanted to do more all, all the time, 
And I think that when they finally opened up to the idea of that, I don't know what season you could probably, if you knew Seinfeld well, you could probably point to the moment. That's when that show became four stories, you know? Right. And, and it's very Breckman-esque. season you guys, three. You guys had Breckman on the show, but they, yeah. Larry had something very closely in common with Breckman. Breckman is so good, the best I've ever read, at making a sketch be about three things, and then at the end, they collide. They collide. Remember how, I mean, Larry's yeah. Corner was the first. Larry's Corner, right. The luckiest man in the world. Luckiest man in the world. Safe it, falls on it. Perfect. There's, those are perfect sketches. And that Larry's yeah. Corner laugh is the biggest laugh I've ever heard in the studio. The milk. We talked about it. We talked about the milk through the nose. That is the, and it was Andy doing yeah. the milk. Right. But Larry has the same thing. He's got this skill of four stories, separate stories told really quickly in a million different scenes. And then at the end, boom, they come together. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, he figured that out, not at the beginning. If you watch the first couple of seasons, they didn't really work like that. And certainly not the pilot, which wasn't oh, even a pilot, really. No, no relation I, at all. It takes years. and then, But once he got that, and I think that that's, you know, so, so in that time over those years of trying to get more material and stuff, Julia got, she's the greatest prop actor that ever lived. There's never been a better eater on screen. <laughs> she can come into a scene and eat a candy bar or a bowl of cereal or whatever and really eat. You know, a lot of people, and you know what I mean, Gary. It yeah. seems like that would be an easy thing to do. It's not. No, it's when not at all. On camera, you're thinking, I'm eating. Right, you know? right. And I, I, I'm self conscious now, just drinking it's from this mug think. in a podcast. Yeah, look, that's very believable, Gary. Okay. Hey, Brad. <laughs> you, Hello, uh, Gary. You, you wrote and directed Picture Paris, a short film with your, with your wife, which was fantastic. Yeah. Saw it on Amazon. And I had heard that you were developing that with Meg Ryan for a TV series, but yeah, I never were. heard what happened. Well, we did. And it, it ha what happened was it was great. And then it was gone. So that's typical. Oh, that sounds like Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> we learned that at SNL. We learned yeah. that with the Upside Down family. We were going to shoot it at Epics. And uh, Epics changed management and they wiped out their development slate and, and that, you know, it's as simple as that. It's a crazy thing, isn't it? Because this was something that we sold four or five different places and had a bidding war for and everything. And then all of a sudden it was gone. You know, so that one has to just take those things and, you know. Well, and your wife is in the original. She's so fantastic. I, I, yeah, I learned to say right. merci, merci, merci. No, she's great in that. And, and, uh, we made that right before Nicole Holo Center did um, did enough said with Jules and with James Gandolfini, and uh, she saw she saw uh, Picture Paris because she wasn't she had never seen Julia do serious stuff. And Picture Paris is a comedy, but there's some very touching, yeah, very touching. And and I, I and so Nicole sort of was like, oh my god, she's great. So I'm well, obviously we could talk forever about everything you do and again i keep saying this but when i have lunch with you you're going here you're coming from there you've got a meeting you just blah 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 but i do know that you have basically brad culled some of what you've learned in this journey if you will um that you give to to students i mean you have two fantastic boys who are both doing well but i know that you teach at usc and have gone back to northwestern give us Give us some of the oh, Brad Hall wisdom. Well, this, this is really just if 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 I if you're talking about what I think you're talking about, this is really it comes out of mostly out of parenting to tell you the truth. And you've got sons, so you know you know when you're. It's all about 
how do you about manage control? what do you what do you really keep have them from dying yeah right like when so when your kids are little let's think of it as a parenting thing but this works is in life so when you're when your kids are little it's like you're a sports franchise right you're the owner because you've got this little baby and the baby has to do exactly what you want the baby to do and you mm-hmm. control everything about the baby and then the baby starts to grow up and then the, all of a sudden the baby is is you know the baby is a teenager now and you're now a coach because the kid has to do the stuff, but you're going to have influence and you're going to coach him a little bit. You're going to tell him, you know, right? And then the kid becomes an adult and you're a fan and you stay back and you're Not now, bad. right? Not so bad that is sort of, that's a sort of the sports analogy journey. You How's know, your right? season going so far, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big fan. But I'm you're a fan a, now. Like, like most fans, fan. curious all the time. I'll fire the current coach. But, Do you have a big finger? Out. <laughs> yeah, I've got uh, a number one. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the way that works out in the in the coach part, which is the important part, you know, when you're a parent and when you're uh, making choices, like let's say you're an actor and you have to make, you have to, the whole idea of being an actor is you make choices, right? You're, you're following objectives. You want something, so you've got a bunch of choices. So how do you make a decision about what's a good choice and a bad choice? And it starts in life how do you do that and we've all made lots of mistakes and we watch our children make lots of mistakes and so my brother-in-law actually first had sort of introduced me to this idea that it's all about risk and reward for for kids so you put everything into that matrix of risk and reward so like your kid you know your kids like you know smoking a lot of pot wants to smoke pot before school okay right so that's a decision. Is that a good idea or not? So you can be a parent and say, you can't smoke pot before school. It's over. You know, fuck you. You're in trouble. You know, you're grounded or whatever. You could do that. Or you could say, okay, let's take, let's, let's step back from this. Let's take all the emotion out of it. You can smoke pot before school. Okay. What's the risk of that? Okay. It's illegal. So you could get caught. You could be jailed. <laughs> it's against school rules. So you could get kicked out of school. It's, it's, uh, it's against the rules of this house. So you might get in trouble from me. I might, I might get mad at you about that. Um, your brain is growing, so it's maybe not great for your brain. It might, it might be bad for your ambition. If you get caught and it goes on your uh, permanent record of some kind, it could reflect in jobs or things down the line. Uh, and Boy, I would get high right away. <laughs> and, then, and then you say, yeah. the yeah. you're a little right. high before school. Right, right. <laughs> it went, it, come on. So you've removed the, you've just right. gone through what the actual thing is. And guess what? It always works. It, sometimes the risk or reward is tricky. It's like, okay, I want to ski off this cliff. That's really a risky thing to do. Well, how do I minimize those risks? I learn how to ski really well. I find, I, I hire a guy that knows about avalanches. I, you know, you go through these things and then you minimize the risks. But and then it, the it, it's the same. And in fact, maybe it's even better because you know what you're doing. Right. And as a parent though, you're sort of Socrates in this, right? Because they're making that decision based on the evidence that you're discovering. And then you have to let them do it. And then and you have to let them do it. Yeah, now, like, just two more things, Brad, before Kenny's ridiculous game, and I have no idea what You it asked is. me to do a game. Was that no, I did, because I thought Brad would be fun. But oh. that this is the stuff I've been... I knew all the other stuff. That's what I wanted to hear. But you said something to me a year ago. We're having lunch, and it really hit me, or right before COVID when I was out there. You were talking about your love, which is surfing. 
And you, Brad goes to a corner of the world with great surf every year. And he said, well, you know, I can only do my favorite thing probably 12 more times. So I'm thinking, well, no, you can do it as many times as you want. No, every year I get older, I do this once a year. Am I going to be surfing at 74? So there is this finite reality. Well, yeah. it lit a fire with me. Yeah. In terms of, now COVID has made it difficult. Are yeah. you going to tell I, me surf's up now, Gary? <laughs> I'm surfing now. It's, I have 12 opportunities to learn to surf. No, but the things that I want to do, the places I want to travel to, I can't just keep putting these things off. Yeah, you got to do it. When, I've got to do it. When our kids were little, Julia did this, was so freaking smart. The same, we, had that, we had this moment. We realized our kids are about five years apart. So um, how long are they going to be in the house together? And how long are they going to do what we tell them to do as far as traveling goes? You maybe end up high school, maybe that's not so good. They don't do that anymore. So we only have this many years to take our kids to places that we want to go that we've never been. And so we made this list. And, man, we banged through that sucker. And uh, it was expensive and it was hard. And the kids don't remember, you know, specifically <laughs> you do. some of the early stuff. But, boy, do we. And now, and of course, it comes up. They do remember. And for me, I mean – Jesus, that as we get to be ancient, um, you know, I really like surfing. And I, I mean, I really like surfing. <laughs> My son's a big surfer. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, well, yeah. you can hear out here. And so in order to keep doing that when you're of a certain age, like Gary is, um, <laughs> you got to stay in shape. You got to do a lot to, yeah. but it's worth it. So, you know, it's again, it's a risk reward thing. How much reward is there going to be if you really, 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 Get. And the risk, sharks, of course. We have to bring this to an end. I know that we could wait till the sun comes up and share that experience together. <laughs> but Ken, hmm. you have some sort of probably stupid game. Well, we were talking uh, about... Uh, okay, yeah. We were talking about decisions that you have to make, those choices. Right. And there's a TV show on, and it's a, it's a moral question, all the thing. What would you do? You know, where they throw right. out a wallet, then they videotape to see if somebody would pick it up or not. Well, we're going to play somewhat of a variation on that. But I will tell you that every incident that I am going to tell you about is absolutely true. It happened. And I'm going to ask you both, one, what would you do? And two, what do you think Keddie did? <laughs> ah, yes. So I'm about to go through a doorway. On the other side, simultaneously, a person in a wheelchair and, a, and another person with a, a mother with a stroller is on the other side. If I step aside to the right, I allow the person in the wheelchair to go first. If I step to the left, it's the woman, the mom with the stroller. Who has the right of way? Brad? Uh, I would uh, uh, let the wheelchair person go through. Because I would, too. Oh, oh why? You can't just, well, do you have any kind of reason why you made that decision? Well, Brad was about to say. Huh? Yeah, uh, I, I would do that because I never liked that mother. And I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, no, um, I, because he's on the right on the other side of the door, therefore has the uh, right. So literally uh, left, right of way is, is your thinking. I know, he just said left, right. At the I end. just I, think well, that the, the greater obstacle to going through a door is going to be a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. The woman is inconvenienced, but the other issue seems to me to be of more gravity. What do you think I did? 
you let the woman through. I yes. think you, I, you, you threw the guy out of the chair, you took it, and you went down the did I mention? Did I mention that the woman was hot? Oh, you <laughs> Now, that was important, and you didn't mention it. So that's what you did? That's what I did. All right. Good. All right. Next. But was it a guy in a wheelchair, or could have been a Yeah, big, fat guy. Big, fat guy. Big, fat guy? Okay. Um, not that, I mean, doesn't that's fine. I'm just difference. saying. No, of course, it's fine. Difference. You just ask the question. I'm just telling right. you honestly. Okay. It's fair enough. Give um, us another. Uh, okay. You're hungover. Well, the night before, you got wasted with your friends and probably your son <laughs> and whatever. You come down. You can hardly move. You just can make it to the couch. But the couch is covered with popcorn, pretzels, potato chips, tortilla chips, and a half a cookie. What do you do? Do I go first this time? Yeah. I've, uh, it's been a long, 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 long time, but I've been in it, and I know that I woke up with popcorn and pretzels on my body, so I just plopped down. Okay, Brad. Uh, yeah, there's no question that that's exactly. Well, that's what you would do. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether or not that's the uh, right, right. You would do that, Ken. Well, that's what you Gary, did. I'm a Gary. No, Gary. that's not what I did. You cleaned the couch. I ate the popcorn, the cookies, <laughs> <laughs> the tortilla chip. Now, see, I found that to be so far fetched. <laughs> I didn't even offer it as a possibility. You know, if the popcorn the next day, just because it's on the couch, and, you know, I actually needed the nourishment because I was so hungover. So I just, that was breakfast. Fair enough. Let, let, let's do one more, Ken. One no, more. I got, no, you I, can't. Oh, I know you've got millions. Edit. No, I don't. I just have three, four more. Okay. They're, they're going to be quick. I think you'll okay. enjoy them. I do enjoy it. I just, you know, I, I've told you how busy Brad is. I know there are people outside of his office. Brad, Brad can leave if he doesn't want to play the game. Brad, <laughs> do you want to play the game? I want to play the game. Uh, Brad wants to stay and play the game. Okay. I'm... I go to pick up a pizza. I'm in the pizza place. I'm waiting for my pizza. In the meantime, I see a guy who is just putting, uh, you know, closing the box on a pizza and he sneezes right into the pizza. And I'm like, holy shit. And he closes the box and he turns around to hand it to the person who's waiting, who hadn't seen this. So you follow me here so far? Yes. I've seen him sneeze in the pizza box. I don't think anybody else has seen it but me. I don't know what to do. Do I tell the person? What, what do you do? Brad, you purchase the pizza. You buy the pizza from the person? Yeah. You wow. purchase the pizza. And, and then, then you, what do you do with the pizza? Then you eat the pizza. <laughs> you get a terrible pizza. <laughs> and then, then you are motivated by the disease to go into medicine. You become one of the foremost epidemiologists in the United States of America. And, that and, that's, can, what I, can, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> Ken, I know for a fact that you didn't say a thing. I would have said something in this situation. I, I, my son makes pizza. I don't know if that gives me any credibility, but I, I, I would not be able to get my mind out of the fact that I just couldn't divorce myself of the fact that he's eating snot and pepperoni. Do you think, do you think that in COVID, this is a more, uh, this is a Certainly fair during a COVID period. This I was pre-COVID. I have to tell you, that pizza I, might have been sneezed on. Here's what I did. I spoke up and I said, he just sneezed in that pizza. And the owner turned around and said, no, he did not. And then the wife turned around and she said, get out of here. 
And then everybody started yelling at me, and I'm going, no, he did. Nobody ever pissed. Nobody ever did this. Nobody. He did not see. Did anybody else see? And the person's like, wait, he's like, take the pizza. And they're screaming at me, and the guy says, get out, and never come back here again. Get out, never come back here. And that's why, I, and I saw so I had to go to, next door to Ralph's, and I explained to my wife why I, did, I brought home a roasted chicken <laughs> as opposed to the pizza. So that's, that's I did I not see that coming. That's true. Very so, good. So, I admire you. The I guy admire that you. sneezed. Did the guy that sneezed deny it? Oh, he he, 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 he would have lost his job. He, yeah, he just he he did. He just turned around and just was like shaking his head, like "Don't look at me." But yeah, yeah but wow, it, that, that happened. Well, that's quite a story. Yeah. Next. Okay. Well, they're not over yet. No. You know that you go in you, to get a salad at a place. You just like there's a place, a little place here. You walk in, you go to the counter. It's got a board up, and it's like you know they get the different cat salads. So I ordered a number three, which is a tuna egg salad combination. So there's a kid on the other side. I say I'll have a number three. The kid taps the iPad. Right, one time, just taps the iPad. Says, "Was that all?" I said, "Yes." One tap. That's all he did. Then he turns the iPad around, and now the iPad is facing me, and for me to sign, and it says tip, eighteen percent, twenty percent, twenty-five percent, and I'm like, wait. Am I supposed to tip you because you just tapped it? All you did was you, you went like that, tap, and you won an 18%. And he said, sir, it's completely up to you. Do what you want to do. What would you do? Let me go first here. Go ahead. In my life, in my past, I was a tightwad and famous for it. <laughs> but I learned through the process of being me and then owning a restaurant a couple of times in my life that the tipping is, they're paid so little. Now, even though it's not really your responsibility to pay them, I now tip 20 to 25% on anything. Yeah, but that's after you've been served. You're talking about... Well, no, in any service. situation, okay. in any situation, they're, they're Tips are being considered as part of what he, he, this person declares as their income. And mm -hmm. they need that income. And I figure they need it more than I need. I would have tipped at least 20%. 20%? Given this, 20%. One tap, 20%. Okay, Brad? Yeah. 100% agree with Mr. Kroger. Uh, the, uh, the, the, there should be a – the tip minimum wage is a big problem. Yeah, that's right. correct. Okay, That's well, this correct. is my, my thinking. I was, my concern is what we've established now is giving the tip before the service. Am I right? Used to be yeah. you evaluate the service, you get the food, and then to you To ensure prompt service. Yeah, and then you go, hey, you know what, you did a good job, whatever, okay? But now we're into this world of uh, pre-tipping, which... I well, know. I think that that's the thing, though. The tip is no longer, it doesn't, it's no longer related to the work. Right, right. The, the salary it's, is it's so the low. Salary. It's, that, it's the wage. Okay. It is the wage. At a minimum wage, you got to tip 25%. Yeah. You have to. Well, you guys got a lot more <laughs> pro progressive policy. I just basically thought to myself, is this going to affect the scoop of tuna that they're going to put <laughs> on my salad? If this reduces, yeah, then, if, you get if it reduces, so I'm anticipating a lower amount of tuna because well, I you get know a what? tip. You know what? It's entirely possible. 
You know, they, I, I worked in the restaurant business. Now, I never allowed a server to take it. You know, you got what you got. But you'd see them come into the kitchen. Of, uh, they're not going to tip me at all. You'd, you'd see. So things can happen. Well, you know, I, I gave 18 percent. All right. Well, things can happen. I don't like hearing that. I'll do one last one. Guys. All right. And this one is actually uh, took place in Santa Barbara. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is that where you are now, Brad? I am. I was on Main Street, and I was looking. Uh, maybe I was just reading the menu on, on the restaurant, and the, I heard a noise. Oh, and there was a guy in a wheel. Oh, this is another wheelchair story. If you guys are okay with that, and there was a guy with a wheelchair, and he was trying to get in the door to open the door of the restaurant. Was he, was he a big heavy guy? Because we know how no, this is going to no, end. No, but his, his thing was, he I don't know, he couldn't really communicate. And he was like, uh, 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 calling me over. So I, I went over. This could end badly, Brad. <laughs> I went over. And I was like, okay, I guess he wants to get in the restaurant. So I opened the door and I push him into the restaurant. I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I push him in the restaurant. And, <laughs> and you know, people look. And they see me. He's standing there with the guy with the wheelchair. And he starts going, uh, and pointing. And I'm not really sure where he's pointing, but I start to t- steer him towards this door, which I guess was the restroom, when suddenly the guy comes around from the restaurant, steps in front of us and says, I'm sorry, sir. The uh, restrooms are only for customers only. Are you a customer? Now, this is to the man in the wheelchair he's speaking to. No, or you me, to me i am pushing okay. the man in the wheelchair okay the guy who, who works there the waiter whatever walks over to me and says you cannot go any further he assumes i am with the man right in the wheelchair okay so what's the question what do you do now the guy says you can't do this what do you what, what do you do you just like you try you try to explain i mean did you try to explain and say, oh, we, I'm just helping this gentleman here who had some trouble getting, he was outside, I'm assuming he's a, a, a regular, perhaps fine customer. Well, what, is that what you would have done, Brad? I think so, yeah. I mean, try to, try to reason with the uh, owner and the waiter. You, yeah. Gary? That make, is that a bad well, idea? For sure, that would be the first thing that I would attempt to do, is that I'm, I was just helping out here mm-hmm. and then see where that goes. Now, if the answer to that is I don't care, I might pee right there. Well, it's not you who has to pee. Oh, he has to pee. I got confused. I'm pushing a guy who I don't know, who's in a wheelchair. And he has to go to the bathroom. Which, yes, after I push him in, he wants me to take him to the bathroom. You know what? Honest to God, I would reason, as Brad said, I would say, I'm sorry, we're going to the bathroom. And if if you don't think that that's a good idea, there are going to be complications here that you're not going to like. I would be quasi-threatening. I like that. I like seeing you in that mode. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What do you think? I I would pull my thing as I, you know, I write a column for the paper and this is not going to bode well for your business. And I really would. Hey, I think I won that one. Uh, Well, it's not about it, but do you you know what Kenny did? (laughs) What what did Kenny do? I turned and ran (laughs) (laughs) and never went back again. (laughs) Leaving the guy in the wheelchair with the people <laughs> in the restaurant. So these, 
So what we're beginning here are real life lessons. <laughs> well, listen, because what went through my head was, I am not going to push this guy in the wheelchair through into the bathroom. When is it going to end? I have to push him into the bathroom? Do I have to pick him up, unzip him so he can pee? There was no good way out. I am not um, responsibility. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if there's, if there's a story that where, where the answer is where you would say, I turned and ran. <laughs> where did the moral thing sit? Well, you know what? And now we have perfect bookends. Because you two hadn't met before. Brad, I, I'm, or Ken, I'm sure you can see why I admire Brad so much. And Brad, I'm sure you can see why I get such a kick out of Kenny. I think I'm going to make a little visit to Amazon and see if I turned and ran. <laughs> Brad, there, there's a premise. There's a premise. Every day he faces a guy in a wheelchair. What, what do I do? I'm going to get the audio book. Well, that's in basically this is a this is a, a perfect um, example of what we hoped the show would be a little bit of wisdom, <laughs> some stories, some fun inside information. We love when it's about show business. I personally love when it's personal aspects, as you shared, you know, Brad, about your wife, your family, and students and your children and all that stuff. But like I've said, Brad has to go. Dad, <laughs> what you've do you got mean? <laughs> a lot of time on your hands. See, I have a life outside this door. We're going to go back to that reality now. Are you get taking a picture? Yeah, take a picture. Everybody ready? There's a little picture of nice So I want to thank Brad Hall, our guest. Thank you, Brad. Pleasure to meet you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Mr. Grover. And I would let me say thank you to our viewers. You know, you catch us on uh, what are we on? iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube channel. Well, We're I'm on Flowmax. On a, yeah, you're on Flowmax. Few new shows, uh, Buzzsprout, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Gary and Kenny Show. Thanks for joining us, and gentlemen, it's been Gary. a slice. Thanks, Ken. Man. Run away, run away, Ken. <laughs> no, I turned and I ran. <laughs>